right, tonight I have a special uh, testimony for you. Uh, one of my dear friends, brother in the Lord, and uh, I've just been able to see not only, not only look at him and his wife and how they raise their kids and think about how I'm going to raise my kids, uh, just a good example to us all. Uh, he's an elder in our church, and um, I want to welcome up Jeff Myers. He's going to share what God's done in his life. So come on up, Jeff. Good evening, everybody. I'd like to say thank you for letting me have this opportunity to give you my testimony. Um, back in 03, I was uh, struggling. I thought I had a real bad sinus infection that had been going on for months, actually about two months. Um, kept going through. I kept getting sick. Every time the kids would come home, they were six and eight. Every time they'd come home, I'd be sick. I'd get sick. If they were sick, I'd get sick. And that wasn't typical for me. So I went into prayer. I said, Lord, I don't understand why I'm getting sick. You know, maybe I'm just working. I'm doing all this stuff, trying to stay focused. So it continued to go on. I went on a trip for work up to Sacramento. The whole way up on that trip, I was having uh, a lot of pain on my side face and like kind of in the sinus area. So I got figured I had a sinus infection, which I've had numerous times in my lifetime because I've had real bad allergies. Just kind of pushed it off, said, okay, it's just another sinus infection. But uh, the whole way up to Sacramento, I prayed because I was going into the very next week, I was going into something that was really put on my heart. It was uh, really special. It was going to be a really busy week. It started off with... Um, a trade show that my wife and I were first starting out in a business. And then midweek was our anniversary. And the very end of the week was going to be our first winter camp that my wife and I coordinated. And it was really important to me that I felt good, that I was able to present a great camp for these children of our church. So I just prayed, prayed, prayed. The whole week when I was up in Sacramento, I was up there for almost a whole week, and it just kept getting worse and worse. So I called my doctor, hey, I want some antibiotics, because they refused to do it at first. So he ended up calling in an order for me while I was up there. Kind of didn't help at all. So I came home, I drove home all the rest of the way, continued to pray all the way home, eight-hour actually it was a little longer than eight hours, it was a fire. <laughs> so you can imagine how long that takes. So I just continued to pray, just prayed that I would have an awesome week, celebrating our anniversary, enjoying our first trade show as a, with the, as a company, and then also blessed, being blessed, and blessing our children for our church, because I love this church. Um, to this date, we've probably been here just about 17 and a half years, and it's probably the best place I've ever been. So let that go on. Um, got here, met, the, met all the kids, met the parents. We had rented a bus because I was really uh, wanted to make sure all the kids went up at the same time. All the kids came home at the same time. Parents would be happy instead of cars coming in at different times, which has happened in the past. So <clears throat> make the story short, going up the mountain, uh, up to Wrightwood, I just sat in my chair in my bus seat, and I just put my hands together, 
put my head down. I prayed to God. I go, Lord, please take this pain away from me. The pain that I was having my my head, the constant headache, everything. And as we're going up, our counselors are playing with the kids and shouting, which was cool. Right? It was awesome to see. And I noticed, I go, I don't have a headache. I feel great. So that whole weekend, it just went, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you. So we had a great time. It snowed. We weren't expecting snow, but we called on the, the powerhouse prayer, Sherilyn. Hey, sure. Anytime she prays, it happens. She prayed for snow. We got snow. And there was, out of the, all the kids, there was probably only maybe three kids that ever seen that snow. So it was a really a magical time. And uh, so we had a great weekend. It went really well. Came back down the mountain. We got just to the base right there at uh, Highway 15. The headache came back. The pain came back. But thank you, Lord. Just, just turned it over to him. I said, Lord, thank you very much for blessing this weekend. So this was in January. Uh, February 14th, I could not stand the pain anymore. Nancy goes, hey, I'm going to take you to the ER. Or not ER, but she made an appointment for me. I went down. I had a scan. Before I even got home, she took me and then dropped me back off at the job site where I was working because I left a truck and a, a co-worker with me that was there working. So I just told her, just take me back there, drop me off, and I'll be home later. So got back home, and I go, hey, where are the kids? Because the kids are always home. She goes, well, uh, I go, first thing I got to do is go and take some Tylenol, Advil, something, you know, for my head, get rid of this headache that I got going on. She goes, no, that ain't going to work. I come in, come in the uh, living room, and uh, I need to talk to you for a minute. So um, we sat down on the couch. She goes, uh, Dr. DeHonko called. And he wants to see you tomorrow, not in two weeks, but tomorrow. She goes, it's uh, cancerous, or there's a tumor. So um, we sat there, you know, we took it, and I think we both went to prayer right then and there. Um, Nancy had already called Pastor Rod, um, Rod and Sherilyn, and uh, a handful of elders came to the house. Um, prayed over me, put ointment over my forehead, and prayed. And um, that was that was a kind of a hard thing to get take take in at age 38, six year old little boy, and uh, an eight year old girl. So it means the world to me and my wife. Another great blessing that God did for, to me. Um, blessing me with a wife that's understanding, hardworking, great mother, um, great outdoorsman, a little bit of competitive. Uh, ask Dave. He gets his hiney whip from her quite a few times, too. Um, anyways, um, after Pastor Rod and everybody went and left, um, I just went into prayer. For the first two nights, I just prayed all day. First day, I prayed all day. The next day, we went and had my doctor's appointment. Found out, yes, it is cancerous. It was in um, right behind my sinuses. My size is probably of a golf ball and growing. And um, 
So it was hard. And I called my mom and I told her over the phone. My dad, my dad's a truck driver. At that time, he was a truck driver. Now he's retired. And so I didn't want him to know until he got home. I didn't want him to be worried about it. And I told my mom. She was really upset about it. Um, as soon as my dad got home, I told him. That evening, I just went into prayer. My biggest worries were, Lord, who's going to teach my son uh, to hunt, fish, ride quads, ride motorcycles, shoot, just all these things. And instantaneously, just as if I was standing here talking to you, Dave, or Dave talking to me, God answered me. He goes, okay, this person's going to teach him this. This person's going to teach him that. It was instantaneously. I knew exactly. I didn't have to worry about my son being raised um, the right way, a godly way, because I knew where I was at. We were in a great church, and I didn't have to worry about him learning about God and being raised as a good Christian. First of all, he was, he's just a really compassionate, compassionate kid, and I knew that was a really good thing for him. Um, the other thing was, is I prayed, um, same, same prayer, but for my daughter, Cheyenne. Um, I prayed, Lord, uh, I know you got some tip for mama to teach her all these things that she's so well has this great knowledge about so I really didn't have to worry so much about that so he just answered all these questions for me and after that I just Lord it's out of my hands I'm turning it over to you I pray that you give these doctors wisdom the nurses um, I had a lot of questions the doctor asked if I wanted to know how I got this cancer I was like no, no I don't care how I got it let's fix it you know, so I and I prayed to him. I prayed to God and I turned it all over to the Lord. I said, Lord, it's your will. If you want me here a year from now, you'll you'll put me here. You'll keep me. You'll heal me. You'll touch the lives of the doctors and say, hey, this is how we're going to go. And they were aggressive from the day that I found out two weeks later, I was starting my treatment six months, uh, nine months later, I was cured. I was in uh, in remission, and uh, so I just prayed. I just thanked the Lord. You know, it was a hard time. Um, I still have a lot of issues with it, but I continuously pray every single day. I pray for work. I pray for help for my kids, my family, um, my mom and dad, my sisters, and their families. And I just wanted everybody to know. When you're going through a hard time, your troubles may seem like they're just so overwhelming that how can I handle this? How can I fix this? Well, honestly, you're not the person who's going to fix it. If you don't look towards God, it's never going to happen. So uh, I just, you know... it was kind of funny as, as as I was going through my treatments and everything, I was able to witness um, the, the day that I went to the very first day I went to the doctors and the nurses came in. Of course, they're going to stick you blood draws and urine samples and pull your hair, which they got all of it. 
Um, uh, they looked at me and said, wow. She, she goes, well, when did you find out that you have um, cancer? Yesterday. And they looked at me and it's like, you found out yesterday? And I said, yeah. She goes, why are you still okay with it? I go, I turned it over to the Lord. I go, if God wants me here next week, next year, or five years, or ten years from now, I'll be here. And they said, wow. I wish all of our patients would have that kind of attitude and that kind of belief. And I go, I do too. I go, um, and they told me, you know, you're going to have side effects that are going to stick with you the rest of your life. And I go, yeah, I can understand that. So I went through all my chemo treatment, going to the, the um, get my chemo every three, every three weeks, and went through that whole routine. And then um, in October, I was uh, in remission, 100%. And the doctor asked, well, it's up to you if you want to have radiation or not. The biggest reason to have radiation would be to take that tumor that what's left and just basically burn it out of there so there's nothing left. I said, yeah, let's do that. I don't want nothing left of that. So in turns, I went through six weeks, five days a week um, of radiation. Most people go in for radiation, it's like five to ten minutes. Mine was a 45-minute ordeal because I had to be bolted down to the table, strapped down where I couldn't move at all because it was concision because where it was at. So after going through that, basically it was burned from top of my forehead to the top of my chest. So it basically put me in the hospital because I couldn't swallow anything, I couldn't drink. So I would get dehydrated. So the first week, the first time I got put in the hospital, it was about 10 days. And at that time, you know, the kids were little. I just told my wife, I go, just take me to the hospital, close the door, I'm good. You know, don't worry about me, do what you have to do. So when I was there that first time, a young nurse came in. And I could see that she was upset. I go, um, what's wrong? Do you mind me asking? She goes, no, I'm just having some personal issues with my dad. I go, well, do you want to talk about it? She goes, well, I don't know if I should. I go, no, uh, you know, it's between you and me. And uh, she goes, okay. She goes, well, my dad and I haven't been getting along very well. And I said, okay. I go, do you know he loves you? She goes, yeah, but, you know, it's just really tough. I go, okay, well, do you love your dad? She goes, yeah. And I go, do you want me to pray with you? She goes, I've never had anybody pray for me. So I just put my hand, I got out of bed, and I laid my hand on her while she was standing there, and I just prayed for her and her dad. And, uh, a couple days later, she was my nurse again. Came in, she was happy. Her shoulders were back, and she was holding herself um, more positive. So I asked her, I go, how are you doing today? She goes, doing really good. I go, yeah, oh, yeah? She goes, yeah. She goes, I made a phone call to my dad, and uh, we met for dinner. And we ironed out our problems. She goes, I wanted to thank you. Uh, for the prayer and unfortunately I didn't get to see her again but through going through cancer I was able to witness to people that I probably would never ever walk up to and just witness to them and God just places you in the right places 
um, all the time. And, you know, I'm a strong believer, turn it over to God and let him take it and run with it. Because I know on my own, I can't handle it. I can't do it on my own. So I pray for God's um, guidance every single time. And the other thing, real quick, the last of it, um, going through all that time, especially at the beginning, this church stepped up to the plate. And we had a, a young lady, or well, not young, but our age. Their kids were going to the same school, Crystal Cathedral, where Cheyenne and Wyatt were going. Offered to pick up the kids every single day, take them to their ha her house, had them do their homework, fed them, made sure they were ready to go. When Nancy got off work, she would come by the house, by their house, pick her up, pick up the kids, and come home. And then the church weaknesses had meals four days out of the week for I think it was three or four weeks that just totally helped. And this church right here, if you're not a member of this church, I pray to God that you go to prayer and you pray and ask if this is the place he wants you at because this place has so much to give. And great ministers like Dave and Pastor Rod, Art right here, he spoke yesterday at Bold. It was just touching and there's church is growing so quickly and so beautifully lately it's just awesome the people that they're bringing in and it's just amazing and i thank god every single day for it so thank you very much for letting me give my testimony and thank you again dave thank you jeff you know jeff hold on oh he's gone uh, i really appreciate you sharing tonight god is so faithful with us and as we're going to be looking at tonight i'm going to adjust this real fast um I can, I can guarantee you, none of us will make it out of this life not scarred by sin in some way. Be it sickness, or actions done against, or falling out with people, or whatever the case is, we are all going to end up scarred. It's just the way it is. And tonight we're really talking about the beginning of making things right. So, let's open up in our Bibles, Revelation chapter 5, as we continue through the book of Revelation. And by the way, this is probably my second favorite chapter in the whole in the whole book here. I love this chapter in Revelation. All right, let's pray, huh? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray for this time that you'd open up your word, encourage our hearts, Lord. God, help us to just remind us of our purpose here on this earth, Lord, until your coming. And uh, Father, we just pray that you would speak to us. Convict us of anything that needs to be convicted. Teach us. Transform us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 5. Now remember, we are looking at things future. John was caught up into heaven. And uh, he is up in heaven in the, in before the throne of God. And his God is continuing to reveal to John what must soon take place. As we continue on through here. So let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. 
and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and your blood, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This chapter, just the tension just builds in this chapter as we read it. And we're going to be looking at this this chapter. You know, last uh, two weeks ago was uh, Back to the Future Day, uh, October 21st, 2015. And, you know, Back to the Future was a fun movie because of the fact that it gave us this glimpse into, at, at the time, what possibly could be in the future. You know, the idea of hoverboards, jackets that shrink themselves and, and dry themselves. And, of course, the, that wonderful fax machine that they had going there in the movie that uh, nowadays we have an even better deal. On my iPhone, I can uh, video chat with people. So some things are much better than even they could have imagined. Other things, we're not there yet. There's still really no hoverboard yet. I know, I know I've seen the, com- the Lexus commercials, but, I mean, come on. I can't go down to the store and buy a hoverboard and float around. But uh, as much as those, that, that movie was fun for giving us a glimpse into the future or what possibly could be, John is given this revelation from God to see the actual future, to see what's going to happen, the consummation of this world and its system. Now, I want to point out to you something very important. From the very beginning of creation, actually, let me say this, before creation happened, it says the Bible tells us that Christ was chosen, that, that God already knew that this sin issue was going to happen, and he already had a plan to redeem or purchase back. He already had this plan. And we know that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were being pushed out of the Garden of Eden, we have there the very beginning, the first prophecy of a Messiah to come, a Redeemer. And then throughout the whole Bible, we're working towards this end of sin, this end of this judgment for sin, the end of evil, the putting away of all these things against God, the, the putting away of death and all these things. 
But in the process of judging all those things, God will redeem his people. God will redeem. He will buy back. He will allow a chance for life and not death. It's a wonderful story through the whole thing. And, and here we are getting to the, the meat of it. And one of the terms I want to point out to you as we get into this chapter that I think will, will help you is, first of all, let's look at this scroll. Here's a picture of a scroll from, from uh, a, a recreation of a scroll. And in, in, the, in the word here today, tonight in chapter 5, it says that he saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the out, uh, on the back, sealed with seven seals. So the scroll has writing all over it. And remember, they don't have books like we have today. They, they had scrolls, and the scrolls could be big or small or whatever the case is. But here we have a scroll that's got seven seals on it. And in order to open up this scroll, you have to break those seals. It has to happen. And we're going to find out that as these seals begin to start breaking, judgment starts pouring out on the earth. That's what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. But this was how wills were done. This is how deeds were done to, to property. This is how all these things were, were put together with scrolls with seals on them, showing that this was an official document sealed by whoever the authority was. Tonight as we look at this scroll, there's one other place where I think gives us a little clue to what this scroll is and, and the, the whole story behind it. It's actually in Daniel. And Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And uh, it's often thought of that Daniel is really part one to Revelation. If you, if you have an understanding of Daniel... Revelation is part two, and it picks right up. And Daniel's told in his prophecy to seal up the, the, these words, to, to shut up the words of, of this book, and to seal it up until the time of the end. Now we have John caught up into heaven, and God the Father holding this scroll that's sealed and saying, who is worthy? And John's reaction at who is worthy is is one of weeping because as, as this, this uh, scene is being played out in heaven, we see John seeing that this scroll is so important. It's important to all of us. It's important to all of planet Earth. It's important to the Jews. It's important to the church. It's important, this scroll. And as John sees that scroll being held and saying, who is worthy? And everybody going around, there, there, there's no one worthy. Who's worthy? He begins to weep violently is really the Greek term there that it's, just this intense weeping. I don't know if you've ever weeped that way or seen somebody weep that way, but it's almost painful to watch somebody weep with that kind of violence and shaking. And that's really what the word there is in the Greek for Greek for John weeping. Because what he's seeing here is a total loss. Hope is being robbed from him and no one being able to open this scroll. The scroll is essential. And finally, Jesus appears on the scene. And that's one of the things I love about this chapter is we're going to see in Revelation, and we've already seen, it's all about Jesus. Everything revolves around Jesus. Jesus Jesus is the key to all these things. And essentially, you could say when asking the question about the book of Revelation or when you get to weird parts, that Sunday school answer, Jesus, is for the most part always going to be right. Because it is always about Jesus. So what is this scroll? Why is this scroll so important? 
Well, I want to I want to suggest to you that, and of course, the book of Revelation never really tells us fully what the scroll is, but we do know that the scroll brings about the end of all things. As John starts breaking these seals, we'll see these judgments start pouring out. We'll see the bowl judgments, the different judgments happening, and and it starts working us towards eventually Christ's second coming in his millennial reign, his thousand-year reign on earth. So we know that the scroll is essential to God's Christ reigning here on this planet. Essentially, you could say it's a deed, a deed to planet earth itself. And there's only one person worthy. And that's why I want to tell you about the kinsman redeemer model. My, uh, I was hung out with my dad last um, last couple weeks ago, and um, it's fun hanging out. And my dad always has stories that he doesn't share. And so, like, when he starts sharing something, you're like, what? Like, I found out, one of the things I found out is I'm only three people removed from Henry Ford. I didn't know that. That's kind of a big deal, right? But I found out that my great-grandfather on my dad's side, who died fairly early, um, he he worked for as an electrical engineer for Henry Ford back on the Model T project. I was like, what? Dad, how come you never shared that information? That's really cool. And he's like, well, I don't know. And uh, so I said, well, what else can you tell me? He's like, well, your great-grandmother was a slave. I'm like, what? <laughs> My great-grandmother was a slave? He's like, yeah, Layla Mae Phillips. She was a slave. Uh, her dad couldn't afford her, couldn't afford to pay some of his debts, so he sold her to a boarding house, and she became a, a bond servant, a slave for this boarding house. And, of course, back then it was legal, and unless you could afford to buy yourself out of slavery, you were stuck there. And Layla Mae Phillips uh, grew up in this boarding house working for people, and she had no choice but to be stuck as a slave. And uh, eventually my great-grandfather met her, and he saved up the money, and he bought her freedom and married her. And that's uh, that's how my dad eventually, my, my grandparents came, and grandfather came about, and then my dad. And... Uh, and so it's just interesting, this idea of buying someone back, redeeming them for freedom. And that's exactly what Christ is doing for us. He's redeeming us. He's buying us back for, from slavery. That's what's happened. You see, by the choice of mankind, by Adam and Eve, there was a choice made to reject God's truth and put themselves under the yoke of sla- the, that yoke of slavery and to sin and to death. That's what's happened. And so we're stuck now. We're, we're in death. We're stuck under sin. And we don't have much hope here. Judgment is all that awaits for us. And by the way, I know we all love the idea of judgment. Judgment sounds great when it's about that evil person who stole my stuff. Judgment is great when it's about that sick murderer or rapist or that sick child molester. Judgment is great for them. But we don't like to be judged ourselves, do we? We don't like the idea of us being judged. And and I gotta admit, you and I all know we've got a sin issue. Yeah, we might not be as bad as a child molester. I agree with you on that. But we certainly aren't perfect. We're certainly not good. And if God is a just God, He must judge. And He must do it right. <laughs> Amazing how Romans tells us that God, while remaining just, justified us in Christ Jesus. That's what God's plan is. All right, I'm going to remain just, but I'm also going to make people right through Jesus. Through my son's death on that cross, it will make all these people justified so that their debt is paid. They've been 
purchased back from the dead. Jesus Christ is what we call a goel, a kinsman redeemer. And the, the idea of a goel in the Old Testament is someone who could, they, they had a couple responsibilities. One would be if, if you had land, if your family had land and everybody dies, or maybe they had to sell that land to get out of some debt. Well, the goel would come in and they could buy back that land and bring it back into the family. Or, say, for instance, because uh, they didn't really have good welfare programs in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, say, for instance, a man dies and his wife is left without anybody. Well, the goel, the kinsman redeemer, could come in and he could say, okay, I'll marry, I'll marry my brother's wife and I'll bear kids so that my brother's line will continue on. And in, in a sense, he would represent his brother uh, through, for his brother's wife and take care of her. The goel also could avenge a death. If somebody murdered a, a family member, the goel could be the, the avenger, and they could go after that person and avenge the death. And th this is the Old Testament law that God had, had worked into it. And, of course, the most famous scenario we have of this was in the book of Ruth. We, we read about how Ruth uh, loses her husband, and her and Naomi, her mother-in-law, they travel, they meet up with Boaz, and they find out Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Uh, and so through a turn of events, uh, there's a kinsman redeemer who's in kind of front of the line, but he doesn't want her. So, so Boaz says, I'll redeem her. And he, he redeems Ruth and, and uh, her lands and everything and takes care of them. It's a wonderful idea. But there were some qualifications that had to be made for a kinsman redeemer. First of all, you had to be related. If you weren't related, you couldn't redeem. That was one of the rules. Second, you had to be able you had to actually have the ability to redeem, to buy back, or, or to, to, uh, to take care of the person, or whatever the case is. If you weren't able, you weren't allowed to redeem. And then the last thing is you had to be willing. So a redeemer didn't have to do that. In fact, that's one of the things we see in the story of Ruth is that the closest redeemer says, I don't want this lady or her issues. And so she takes off her shoe, throws it at him, spits in his face, and he leaves. That was the custom. So you had to be willing to redeem, and of course, Boaz is willing. Well, that's what we're going to see here tonight in this chapter about the scroll, is we're looking for a redeemer. John weeps, and notice it says, weep no more. The elder said to me, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. It's so important that we understand Jesus who removed his glory and became a man. He's related. Not only did he become a man, but he became part of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He qualifies as an heir to the throne of David, which qualifies him in those prophecies. So <laughs> he's related. Between the throne of the living creatures, they saw the elders saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. What a, what a crazy picture. You know, by the way, I think in heaven that's one thing, that's probably the one thing that as we look into eternity that we will always see is the redemption through Jesus Christ. And, and John sees a lamb as though it had been slain. And I, I don't even know what the picture looks like there, but I, I saw a video that was pretty interesting. It was filmed recently, and it was, it was uh, watching the Samaritans to this day still sacrifice lambs uh, for Passover. And it was so interesting because the way they do this is 
they bring the lamb in and they get the knife and, and everybody's around, everybody's dressed in white and they, they uh, get ready and they, they sacrifice the lamb and it, it's a little gruesome. Uh, but the response isn't like, oh, the poor lamb. All of a sudden, everybody starts celebrating, and they take the blood, and they put it on their foreheads, and they start dancing around and celebrating because what they think is happening is their sin is being put upon this lamb. Of course, Jesus there is looking as the lamb who was slain. Seven eyes, seven horns, speaking of the omnipotence and, and um, omniscience of God. Seven horns, horns represent power and strength. Um, of course, I'm thankful I've never seen a sheep with seven horns. That would be that would be terrifying, I think. It's something out of a bad Halloween movie and, and seven eyes. But um, th- this lamb is, is saying that it has perfect vision and perfect strength, this lamb that has been slain. Complete. Remember the number of seven is a number of completion. And so it has complete vision, complete power. And which re- represents the seven spirits of God. And he went and he took the scroll. I love how Jesus Christ, when no one can do it, Jesus can walk up and take that scroll. Take the scroll. And, and as he does this, look at the rejoicing. He's the one that can bring about the consummation of this world. And it's kind of a funny idea when we think about why are we so excited about the world ending? You know, that's kind of a weird attitude to have like, <laughs> all right, praise God, the world's going to end. Well, we're not saying the world's going to end. We're, we're, we're looking forward to what God's going to do, that he's going to put an end to sin, death, all these things we hate in this world, all the things that you and I know are evil, God will do away with. And what we find at the end of the book of Revelation is that he wipes away every tear, that his dwelling is now with man. We find that we go back to a state where God and man are in total interaction. God has been victorious, and you know what? He hasn't removed your will. You didn't, be, you didn't get a, a, you know, a lobotomy. You didn't get tra- you know, your brain scrambled so you can't do anything. No, he's put a new heart in you and a new spirit, and he's victorious. And, and so that's why we rejoice at the end of these things because we're tired of seeing injustice in this world. We're tired of seeing. Now, by the way, Christians, there's another flip side to this. We want to be faithful to share the life-saving message of the gospel. We don't want to just say, come, Jesus, come, Jesus, put an end to these wicked, evil doers. We don't want to have that. No, we want to love them because Christ loves them. And he's chosen us to be a part of that plan of reconciliation. So we want to be faithful as we look forward to the end of sharing the good news of the gospel, letting people know that God does save. And so this worship breaks out. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Of course, there's a, an awesome picture there that these elders are holding these bowls of incense, and they're the prayers of the saints right around the throne of God are prayers, like incense. I uh, We don't do incense in Protestant churches. By the way, happy Reformation Day. I almost forgot to mention that. Uh, we don't do incense in, in evangelical churches like this, but I, I remember I went to a Catholic uh, uh, funeral, and, you know, the person comes down with the, the incense burning, 
and you know they're waving it, and it, it just the the how it fills up the room, like you can't get away from it. And and you know for a person that that likes incense, it's probably good for an asthmatic. wasn't so such a great experience, uh, <laughs> especially at a funeral where you're like, <coughs> you know, try try not to die, also to join them. Uh, but but the way the incense just filled up the room was awesome, and and as soon as that happened, I was like. These are like the prayers of the saints before God, ever present, right before him. Him knowing what, what we ask. Wonderful picture here that John gives us of, of these prayers. And so look at what they do. They sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why are you worthy? Well, first of all, he's related. Second, he's able. He's the conquering one. Look what it says he did. He... <clears throat> You were slain by your blood and ransomed people for God. Your blood makes you able. And you ransomed people. You redeemed them for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Who's included there? Everyone. Everyone. Every tribe and tongue and nation. Every single person is included in God's redemption. Every person in this world. Every person. No one's left out or rejected. Well, what about that really evil one? No, he, he's included. I shared with you a couple or last week about how my daughter Lucy was arguing with me about only good people going to heaven and bad people going to hell, and we were going back and forth about it. And, and I was saying, no, honey, that's not true. It's, it's people who believe in Christ that go to heaven. And she's like, no, Dad, good people go to heaven. And, and I, you know, I recognize that sometimes we can think that it is our works and our works will make us, in the end, God has these scales, and he's going to put on these scales good versus evil, and uh, can we do it? And, you know, thank God. I praise God for this, that our criminal justice system doesn't work like that. Like, can you imagine if that's how our criminal justice system worked, where we looked at someone's deeds and say, well, you know, they've had straight A's in high school, and they just murdered somebody one time, but look at all these years of being good. Okay, well, we're going to let them go. Or they, they, they've, uh, you know, they worked at a homeless shelter for years and they finally just murdered somebody, so let's let them go. You know, that's not justice. So God doesn't put our works on a scale and say which one outweighs the other. No, the fact is if you've broken the law, you're a lawbreaker, the Bible tells us. And we, we will face judgment for that. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, we don't have to face that because he's redeemed us by his blood. Amazing what God has done. From every tribe, language, and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign with on the earth. Kingdom of priests. Do you feel like a priest? I wonder. My daughter Lucy, we got on a plane, and she was really excited to ride on this plane. And so we get into the plane, and we take off, and she's like, I can't see the plane. Dad, I can't see the plane. And she was, she was three at the time. And I was like, well, honey, of course you can't see the plane. You're in the plane. She's like, but I want to see the plane. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we can be this way too. God tells us we're a priest, and we're like, I can't see it. I, I just don't see it. It's like, no, you don't understand. God has made you into this. He is conforming you to his likeness. He's transforming your mind and your will. He's, made, he's called you out. Given you, made you a new creation to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? What are the jobs of a priest? And I, and I don't mean in the sense of the Catholic liturgy, the Roman Catholic liturgy. I mean 
What do priests do? What are the responsibilities of priests? Well, a priest ministers to God. They serve God. The word minister, just to serve. A, a, a priest's responsibilities would entail serving God. Do you realize that when you came to Christ, that became your purpose in life, to serve God? You're a priest. That's your Now, sometimes you might forget it. You might forget that you're in the plane saying, I can't see the plane, right? But we're reminded by Scripture that I'm a priest. I serve God. That's my purpose. What's the other, the other side of being a, a priest before God? Ministering to the people of God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what a, a, a priest reaches out and serves the people of God. And, and of course, we, we're told in Corinthians that a part of this ministry of minister, serving God and serving his people is also a ministry of reconciliation. That as priests of God, we're to reconcile a dying world to God. That's the job of a priest. Now, you, like I said, you may not see that in yourself, but, and, and maybe you're saying, well, you know, Pastor, I, I don't think I really live that way. Well, good, now you can change. You, you recognize that you're in the plane saying, I don't see the plane. You can change. You can start ministering to God and to his people because now you know that you are a kingdom of priests to God. Amazing how God does this in us. He makes us new. He gives us a new song. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then, of course, this chorus that sets off from the whole earth to God, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing, honor, and glory and might forever and ever. As we close here, thinking about this, this benediction, there's something I want to share with you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Jesus is worthy not because, well, he's worthy just in general because he's God. But, but, but we're singing this song about his worthiness because of what he's done for us. When Jesus said on that cross those three little words, it is finished, the, it's one word in the Greek to tell us that. And, and that, that word is such a loaded word. It, it, it's a word that's full of meaning and understanding because any time in, in, in the culture of the cross, that first century, any time someone would, would uh, owe a debt, like my great-grandmother, Layla Mae Phillips, and, and someone paid that debt, they would get a stamp on the, 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 the receipt that said, to tell us that it is finished. It, it's paid in full. It's done. If you were arrested for a crime and you went to prison and you finished your term, you would get a receipt saying, paid in full. It's finished. You're done. And that's essentially what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's worthy because he was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I wonder, is that your attitude towards Christ? Do you have that kind of relationship with Christ where you realize that, God, I've got nothing to give you. You've done it all. You are worthy. I want to encourage you about that, knowing that as we look at this book of Revelation and as we see that we are moving towards an end, I wonder if I can challenge you to think about how you live each day. Is it living to serve God and his people 
Or is it caught up in the mundane, oh, doing this, doing this, doing this, things that are just totally meaningless? I think it's a challenge for us to think about that. How are we living before our God? And <laughs> do we have the right answer before our God? And what I mean by that is, what did you do with Christ? Did you receive him or did you reject him? Are you saying, nope, I want to pay my own debt? Or no, Jesus, I want you to pay it. It's a pretty simple question. I want to encourage you with that. To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing, honor, and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures, these angels that are ministering before the throne say, Amen, so let it be. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the part where I told you, if you choose to stick with it, I'll choose to stick with it. Because this is the famous bell out chapter. This is the chapter which people will bell out of Revelation because we're going to get into some, <laughs> some different things. Uh, some really unique things coming in the future, the judgments and things. But I want to tell you, through this whole book, even in the midst of judgments, it's really about God redeeming. It's, about, it's actually a, a, a wonderful message of love that God wants to redeem. And with each and every judgment is an opportunity for man to turn. Everything God does is opportunities for men to turn. Are you ready to turn? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that uh, being a part of your church, we will avoid these things altogether. And uh, Lord, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. You redeemed us by your blood. We've been redeemed. And we thank you for that. Lord, as we move forward this week, I just pray your blessing on each and every one of us. Let, let your word not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts. But, Lord, we just pray that our hearts would be fertile and receptive to your word and your goodness. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name.